Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, March the 31st, 2022. It is currently 5.08 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, you you missed it. You, you really did. You missed maybe the greatest movie that has ever been made. Okay, well, I don't really think I can call it a movie. Okay, you've missed the greatest YouTube video ever made. You missed it. You, you have completely missed it because it was just made about five minutes ago. Yes, about five minutes ago, maybe, maybe about 10 minutes ago, to be fair, about 10 minutes ago, the greatest YouTube video ever made was uploaded and published and you missed it. You missed it. Okay. It, it's not the greatest YouTube video ever made. Okay. It's the worst YouTube video ever made. Yes, I have been busy over the last 30 minutes trying to record a YouTube video. It is now uploaded. It is embarrassing. It is not very good. Here's what I was attempting to do. Before we get to the topic, just just sometimes I like to let you know what's going on behind the scenes. I keep getting emails with people going, have you ever done a program on this? Have you ever done a program on this? I, I was searching and I can't find this. And uh, can 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 you point me to this or can you point me to that? And and sometimes I, it just becomes overwhelming because I can't just spend all day, you know, basically going, okay, here's this message, here's this message, here's this message. I always try to respond to the best of my ability, but sometimes it's just like you get emails with people asking questions, you get emails with people uh, offering criticism and complaint, you get uh, emails from people sometimes offering, you know, encouragement, and then sometimes you have people asking obviously important questions because they're trying to find that other episode or a sermon or any teaching that you did on, on on whatever subject it may be. And then I have to go and then try to find it. Well, to say, and, and then send them the link to save everyone time. What I'm trying to do is point people to the church one app. I really am because the church one app, I mean, let, I mean, hands down, it's the easiest way to find everything. Things all content is broken down into different series, so then you can just see every message, every broadcast, every episode in that particular series by just tapping on series, and then the search function is really good on the Church One app. So really, it just, and not only that, people can listen to us when we're actually live, and they can receive actual notifications, push notifications that I can send to their device. So it just makes sense to try to point people to that particular app. So I made a video <laughs> trying to show people step-by-step directions on, <laughs> on how to download the Church One app. Mistake number one was I think I just made it sound like it's only for Apple. All right, so it's obviously it's for Apple and Android devices. So there was mistake number one. Mistake number two, uh, the phone was sitting on the table and I was trying to hold an iPad like over the phone. And then I was trying to then, you know, type on the phone going, you know, showing each direction, going to the app store, typing in Theology Central, downloading the app, type, uh, typing out th- Theology Central, and then scrolling and showing all of the features. And constantly, well, the whole thing was completely out of frame. You weren't even seeing the phone. So it is a horribly made video, horribly made video. It, it's actually pretty embarrassing how bad it is. But uh, I... I so I, I, I need, I, I probably need to make it again, um, is what I probably need to do, and then delete the previous one, or just leave the previous one and have the updated one. I don't know. I may need someone with an Android device to make a video showing, and hopefully they can make it really, really good and show, okay, if you would like to download the Church One app and make, and where you can listen to everything from Theology Central, here's how you do so using an Android device. That would be good. Then it would be one for an Apple device, one for an Android device, and then everyone will be happy and everyone will have our content. So if you want to find, just find our, our, our YouTube channel, Theology Central. If you can't find it, email me. I'll send you a link. And, uh, you can, you can check it out. We've had massive growth on the YouTube channel of people listening and subscribing. I don't really know what's going on, but we are very grateful for that. So because so many of those people have no idea of this, the Church One app or the Spreaker app or, 
or that were even available on all of the other podcasting apps. We're, tr- we're trying to continue to kind of remind people of those facts. So that's going on. That's behind the scenes. But now, right here, and behind this microphone or in front of this microphone, remember, I never know which one. Am I behind it or I'm in front of it? I think I'm in front of it, okay? But I'm in front of the microphone. I'm going to use this time once again to turn the small spotlight that we may have. Yes, we're not, we're not you know, some major podcast, but, but the little spotlight that we have, the little flashlight that we have, I like to grab that spotlight, grab that flashlight, and I like to turn it on and point you and shine it on other podcasts. I've said so many times, technology is wonderful, it is great. You have a phone, you have tablets, and we use them for so many things. We, we sometimes we spend so much time on these devices using it for frivolous things, mindless things, maybe even things that are actually not helping us, but actually hurting us and our spiritual life. But so, so some people struggle with getting the most out of these devices and making sure that they're using them for something good. Well, we should all realize that on every device, whether a phone or tablet, you have access to so much spiritual food. You have a constant buffet of spiritual food available that you can eat and grow in your Christian life. You've just got to dedicate and discipline yourself to when you pick up the device, go to something spiritual. Use it for something spiritual instead of all the other things you use it for. So what we're trying to do is point you to material and content and say, here, here, use it, subscribe to this, Follow this. Listen to this. Instead of just saying, listen to me, I'm pointing you to other content out there. Now, we're pointing out, we pointed you to content so far in this kind of series that we're doing that we're basically, in fact, we are calling this, uh, this series, what we're referring to, we're we're referring to every episode as, let me go down and and find, uh, like, I'll give you the, the name here. We're referring to each one as the Christian Podcast Spotlight. The Christian Podcast Spotlight, where we're turning the spotlight on different Christian podcasts. Some of them we may agree with 100%. Some we may not agree with that much, but we think they're interesting and that they will give you a different perspective and challenge you because we want you hearing all kinds of different things on your device. We want you, we want you, we want you growing spiritually. I want you to benefit from it, right? So, and so, and I'm not, and I, and you know, I'm not worried. If you go find, if I point you to 30 other podcasts and you end up loving all 30 far more than me and you never listen to me again, great. If I pointed you to wonderful spiritual food that help you grow spiritually, that should be all that matters. It shouldn't be about competition or worrying about someone going to listen to something else. It shouldn't be about that. So we've been doing this. I, 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 sometimes it, there, the delay and doing another episode in this series really comes down to, it takes a lot of time because what we do is I tell you about the podcast, then we grab an episode and review it, analyze it, critique it. And sometimes that can turn into our, we never know what's going to happen because remember I, whenever, whatever I play, I don't listen to it first. I always pick an episode that I haven't heard because I want it to be like we're listening to it together and, well, we're, we're, we're learning about it together. So that's what we try to do. Sometimes it takes uh, you know, multiple parts, but I hope you are benefiting from this. I think some people love the series. Some people take it or leave it, but I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that anyone who listens to me, that their phone, their tablet, at least they have it set up to get as much spiritual food as possible so that no matter what they're doing, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they can pick up their phone and go spiritual food, spiritual food, because of all the things that we have pointed them to. So in this episode, we are going to point you to a podcast that is very well known. I've tried to choose some things that are not as well known This one is so well known that I kind of went back and forth. Like, is this really going to be beneficial? Because everyone knows this one, right? I bet you 90% of the people who listen to this are like, oh, I already subscribed to that. So, but I I still want to at least mention it maybe for the 10% who've never heard of it. All right. So I would challenge you to do this, right? Here's the podcast you're going to look for. Truth for Life. 
Truth for Life with Alistair. Uh, I believe his last name is, I don't have his name right here in front of me. Let me see here. Let me see about, hang on. Uh, it's Alistair. It's, it's Beg, I believe. I believe it's B-E-G-G. I, I thought I had his name right here in front of me. Let me see here. Um, his name's got to be somewhere on this. Yeah, Alistair Begg, B-E-G-G. All right, Alistair Begg, B-E-G-G. Alistair Begg, uh, again, the program is Truth For Life. This is what we want to point you to. I'm going to give you some information here about the podcast so that you know. So here's a little bit about Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. It comes on Christian Radio, and the podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. And it's available also on the Sermons 2.0 app. So if you're using the Sermons 2.0 app, then just follow it. Follow it and add that to the broadcasters that you follow, all right? But here you go. Here's some information. On February the 27th, 1995, Truth For Life began airing its 25-minute daily program on seven radio stations. Today, we now can be heard in every major market across the U.S. and also in select Canadian markets through over 1,900 radio stations and outlets. That is, that is crazy. I mean, they start on seven stations and now over 1,900 radio stations. This is a very well-known and influential program. Very well-known, Truth For Life by, with Alistair Begg. The first time I, I think I ever came across anything by Alistair Begg, he had written a foreword to a book that I purchased. And I think I purchased the book, maybe it was in the 1990s. Yeah, it, had, it was a long time ago. And it was just a Ford written by Alistair Begg. And I'm like, I don't know who Alistair Begg is. I read the Ford. I'm like, oh, that's that's some really good points. But I I don't remember. And then I, I don't think I, I don't, I don't think I ever remember anything else hearing from him again until somewhere in the late 90s, I ended up hearing the radio program. And then and then, then it was all over the internet, and well, now, now it's a podcast as well. But uh, this is what they say. The unique expositional teaching of Alistair Begg is internationally known as an inspiring source for clear, relevant instruction rooted firmly in Scripture. Studying God's Word each day, verse by verse, is the hallmark of our ministry. It is the hallmark of their ministry. Now, if you if you go to, let's see here, where else can we go to? Um, see, I'm going to go back. No, I'm going to go, hang on, I'm going to hit back. All right, so this is what they say about their podcast. So it says, subscribe to podcast. Truth For Life is excited to offer our listeners a subscription to a podcast of our daily program and sermons. This service is a gift to our listeners. And then they have, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and then the RSS feed. Um, sermons can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and the RSS feed. Now, I think what, if you, if the daily program um, is somewhat separate maybe from their sermons, but in many cases, the daily program is simply playing their sermons, but you just kind of get the intro, you get the outro, and then the sermons are broken down into, because each program is about 25 minutes, it's kind of broken down. So you can look for which one you're looking for, Alistair Begg, Truth For Life. If you go to the Sermons 2.0 app, I'm going to pull that up right here, the Sermons 2.0 app, and you simply, let's see here, I've already have it saved as mine, but I'm just going to go, if I'm just going to go to search, if you type in truth for life, I think it immediately, does it show up really quick? Truth for life. Okay, you have to type it all the way out, truth for life. It will show up here, Truth For Life, Alistair Begg. They currently have 1,283 sermons. That gives you plenty to listen to. All right, hang on. I have people calling me on my, uh, calling me on my iPad. All right, Truth For Life, Alistair Begg. Um, if you, again, over a thousand sermons, and then you can, uh, you can follow them. I'm already following them. And you can start listening today, Truth For Life. And I would challenge you to do just that. That So what we're going to do is I just chose a random one, and I think this one goes all the way back to 2010. I have not heard this. 
I did have some people recommend this. I did, I did, I did get a number of emails of people saying, hey, you know, you, uh, for your Christian uh, podcast spotlight, you need to turn it on uh, Truth for Life with Alistair Bay because it's it's the most amazing. It's my favorite. Everyone needs to know about it. And again, my first reaction to a lot of those emails was like, who doesn't already know about this? But then I thought, you know what? Let's do this. And I, and I kept get, getting then specific sermons or programs recommended by Alistair Begg. So this is clearly, uh, I think this is probably, of all the, all the podcast suggestions I've received, I think this one has had the most, hands, hands down. So let's just do this. Let's jump in. We'll review it, analyze it, um, and we'll see what happens. As, as always, the volume to me is very, it was way too low but I have it all the way turned up in my software. So if you need to turn up the volume while we're listening, and I'll try to come back in quiet. So let's do this. Alistair Begg, Truth For Life. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast, or if you're using the Sermons 2.0 app, which I would highly recommend, just type in Truth For Life and follow. And then every day, anytime there's a new uh, uh, anything new from him, it'll show up in, in your feed. Um, let's see here, I just went to my feed. And I don't see anything currently. Um, I'm going down. I, I subscribe to a lot. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing where the last one was. Hang on. Let's make sure of something. Let's make, because sometimes things are way outdated um, here. Let's do this. I'm going to do a search again because when was their last sermon? Oh, wait a minute. Ne- uh you never mind. You don't want to. You, you no. Uh, you do not want to use the. Uh, you do not want to subscribe to it on sermons 2.0. I'm glad I just caught this because their last sermon posted was January the second, 2022. So you do not want to subscribe. Uh, that is kind of sad. Um, I'm. A, I don't know if. Why would they still have uh, an account and not be upload, uploading new content? I don't understand that. So don't even bother. Don't don't subscribe to them on Sermons 2.0. I didn't even I didn't even think about it. But as soon as I went to the feed, I'm like, wait, it there should be something there. Um, but no, it's there's nothing. They're not up. They have not updated anything since January 2022. So don't subscribe to them on Sermons 2.0. Don't do that. What I would uh, challenge you to do is subscribe to them on other podcast apps. I'm just going to do something really quick. I'm going to go to other podcast apps. Let's see, which one do I want to go to? Let me just, uh, just going to, I'm just going to go to a pocket cast really quick and do a search. I'm going to just type in truth for life. Truth for life. Do a search. There it is. There's this daily program. And well, there's one for today, Thursday, uh, March the 31st. So the, the I don't know what's going on on, on the Sermons 2.0 app or slash Sermon Audio. They're not, I, I don't know what, they still have an account because their content's still there, but they're not uplo- uh, updating it. So that's kind of, that's kind of irritating, but I'm glad we just discovered that. We see, we discovered something. All right, so there we have it. So let's do this. Let's jump in and review. This is going all the way back to September the 9th, 2010. September the 9th, 2010. It is called um, Pictures That Tell a Story. Pictures That Tell a Story. All right, let's see what this is all about. Here we go. The following message by Alistair Begg is made available by Truth For Life. For more information, visit us online at truthforlife.org. Let's turn again to chapter 6 of Luke's Gospel and to the 39th verse. We're close now to the end of a sermon which Jesus has been preaching, as it is recorded for us, from verse 20, which we noted earlier in the chapter. And from that point of the commencement of Jesus' instruction, we have been under the searchlight of the Word of God. It hasn't been a particularly easy responsibility to teach, nor has it been easy for any of us, I fear, to listen to. 
But I do believe, I think we've come to agree together, that God has been speaking very forcibly and very clearly to us, both as individuals and as a church family. And we need to pay attention to what we heard last time, that we would be those who have ears to hear and that we would hear, and that God would be pleased to fashion in us the kind of soil in which his instruction is taking root. Jesus, in this sermon, is describing, amongst other things, the characteristics of Christian discipleship, answering for us the question, what should a follower of Jesus look like, sound like, be like? How will a follower of Jesus treat those who are not like him or her? How will a follower of Jesus respond to those who frankly despise them and say unkind things about them? And the instruction of Jesus is simply this, that we are to adopt an approach which is gracious and loving and forgiving. This, says Jesus in his opening statement, is the way of blessedness. Blessed is this individual and blessed is the other and so on. Reminding us that Christian discipleship is marked by a reversal of values. And in verses 20 to 26, the follower of Jesus is described as being one who prizes what the world thinks pitiable and suspects what the world thinks is desirable. All right. Now, I just have to throw in some, con con uh, some comments here because I think it's very important. Whenever you listen to a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, you ha it's always interesting of the theological approaches many people take. Some people take the approach that the Sermon on the Mount, whether recorded in Matthew or here in Luke 6, okay, very similar, right? Um, it, it, I mean, you start with the Beatitudes, or you can compare with Matthew 5, or you get the idea. But the Sermon on the Mount, the, the sermon that Jesus preaches, when, whenever you get into uh, listening to sermons about it, you're going to notice people some, take some very, diff, very different theological approaches and very different interpretive approaches. Some take the approach that, okay, the Sermon on the Mount, it basically serves as a test. If you claim to be a Christian, then your life should look like the Sermon on the Mount. And if it doesn't look like that, you're not saved, right? We did an entire series on the Sermon on the Mount where we were, where we were reviewing a sermon series where that was basically the approach. Hey, are you saved? Do you know if you truly repented? Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Does that look like you? It doesn't. You didn't repent. You're not saved. All right? That's the way they approached it. Others approach it like, okay, here's the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you should live. This gives you the standard of living. All right? In many cases, they don't do much with it. I kind of focus on a third approach. The Sermon on the Mount gives you the righteous standards of Christ and really gives you a, an, a commentary and an interpretation on God's law. We look at the Old Testament law, the Sermon on the Mount is really a commentary on that. And what the Sermon on the Mount is ultimately designed to do is to demonstrate to you that you do not meet God's righteous standards. It is to bring a sense of condemnation. It is to condemn you and make you realize that you're going to need a righteousness other than your own because you're never going to keep the Sermon on the Mount anywhere close to perfectly. You're going to fall short. You're going to fall short. You're going to fall short because we fall short of God's law. God's law reveals our sin. God's law reveals our unrighteousness. God's law reveals the righteousness of God and demonstrates to us how far we fall short. Therefore, we need a righteousness because that is not our own. So this is the way I look at it. Sermon on the Mount shows me my sin. The Sermon on the Mount shows me the righteousness of God, and it demonstrates that I need a righteousness not my own. Where do I find that righteousness? I find that righteousness from the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount, which was Jesus Christ. Not only did he preach it, he met and fulfilled all of the righteousness, all of the righteous demands that are preached in that sermon. When I put my faith in him, that righteousness is imputed to my account. So am I standing before God? I have kept the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. I have obeyed every command, every principle. I have obeyed it in my position. In practice, 
I try, obviously, and it, it, is, it is something we should strive to live in accordance with. We should strive to do. We should follow. It, in a sense, gives us God's will, but we have to understand we are going to constantly fall short of it. Some people just like, here, here it, it's just the standard. Well, it's the standard, but that standard condemns you. So I think you need a, a different perspective on it. Now, we did not obviously hear how he began his series. Maybe he emphasized that, but here he's just emphasizing it that, hey, this is what, how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to live. Well, you can tell people that's how they're supposed to live, but I'm telling you, anyone who's read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find out within minutes, you're never going to fulfill it. So you're going to need, I think, uh, that that third perspective, which is it gives us it gives us the righteous, it gives us basically the, the righteous standard of God. It shows it, it shows us our need for him. It condemns us and it makes us realize that we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. So I just I just think that's important whenever you kind of come to this kind of discussion here. All right. So I'm gonna back it up just a little bit because I think it's uh, very important. All right, here we go. Reminding us that Christian discipleship is marked by a reversal of values. And in verses 20 to 26, the follower of Jesus is described as being one who prizes what the world thinks pitiable and suspects what the world thinks is desirable. So the follower of Jesus is going to be identified by the way in which he or she responds to where the mainstream of a culture is going. That's a very good point. God's, I would say it this way, God's word, God's law, God's standard is completely opposite to the world. God's standard is that we reject what the world thinks is wonderful and that we, in a sense, reject and despise. We, we reject what the world thinks is wonderful and great. We reject what the world thinks is great. And what the world despises is probably the very thing that we we want and we desire. It, it, it completely reverses everything. And that is true. God's word, God's law gives us a standard that is completely opposite to the culture. That is very true. But just remember that standard, no matter what we say about ourselves, we don't follow and we follow short. We fall short of all the time. And when it endorses that, which is counter to what Jesus teaches, then the follower of Jesus will suspect that kind of emphasis and will be prepared to be regarded as something of a loser because he embraces that which the world thinks is pitiable. So Mark 1 of Christian discipleship is a reversal then of values. Mark 2 in verses 27 to 38 is this dimension of love which is actually an exceptional kind of love. It's not the kind of love that you find in the sports club. It's not the kind of love you ultimately would find going amongst people in the ebb and flow of life because he says in verse 32, if that's the kind of love, what kind of credit is that to you? If you simply have a love that's like the love that is found in the local bar, then don't make a fuss about it because pagans are able to do that. If your friendship is simply the kind of friendship that is found on sports teams, if your hospitality is the kind of hospitality that simply invites your kind of people around because you like those kind of people, then he says, I don't want you to be boasting and talking about it because it's no different from what happens in the pagan world. And again, I have to jump in here again because this is such a, this is such a big thing to me because I just, I hear so much preaching on the Sermon on the Mount and I hear it, I just... It's always like, here's the rules. Here's, go do this, go do this, go do this. And I understand that, that it is the standard, but it just, just sometimes I don't think we, it, it's almost like we, we hear it and like, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. And then we somehow convince ourselves that we do it, but we don't. Just, just look at here. He says one of the, the marks of Christian discipleship is we have a different kind of love. Okay. Well, let's look at this kind of love. Verse, uh, Luke chapter six, verse 27. But I say unto you, uh, which here, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them who despitefully use you, and unto them that smiteth thee on the cheek, uh, uh, offer also the other, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also, give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. 
Um, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Uh, for if you, for if you love them which love you, what have the, have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Now you can, you can start reading that and I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you, look at 2000 years of church history and at large, over and over and over, Christian Christianity, the Christian church, individual Christians, pastors, deacons, elders, lay people, we've all Sunday school teachers, it doesn't matter. We fall so very short of that standard, or we start doing this little game. Well, Jesus said it, but it didn't really mean it that way. So we always find an excuse for whenever we don't quite live up to the standard which Jesus put forward, which I think misses the whole point. He's putting God's perfect standard in front of us, and we are not, it's not for us to rewrite the standard so that we can feel like we've accomplished it. It's for us to to be confronted that we don't meet the standard. We need an alien righteousness, which is imputed to us. I see that the Sermon on the Mount is law. It's the law of God, which condemns. I'm not saying it doesn't give us instruction and in how to live and that we should strive to live it. We should, but we're never going to meet it. And it's always preached like, here it is, go do it. You can do it. And it doesn't work that way. All right, let's continue. Instead, says Jesus, if you're going to be my disciple, then I want you to be merciful as your father is merciful. And God shows his mercy by being kind to those who are ungrateful and who are wicked. So he says, I want my followers not to be those who stand up, as it were, on the spires of their churches and fire down at the people below saying, you know, you really are a dreadful group of people in this country, in this society, in this culture, in this political process is going into the dumper and it's because of the likes of people like you. Jesus says, I don't want to hear that kind of censoriousness coming from you. I don't want you to be guilty of judgmentalism and condemnation, the kind that seeks to exalt oneself by disparaging other people. Instead, he says, I want you to be the embodiment of forgiveness and the embodiment of kindness. Somebody wrote to me after the comment that I made about finding two uh, ladies kissing one another on the mouth in the Cleveland Hopkins airport. The anonymous letter said, did you think for a moment how you may have made people feel whose children have gone in this direction? I confess, no, I did not in that moment think about it, but I have thought about it since. And it was never my intention to pain you or any other parent who finds themselves there. But to the extent that I did, I apologize. My point was simply this, that such a lifestyle is abhorrent to Scripture, is regarded as a perversion. And if we're going to display Christian discipleship, then we have to stand against that which the world increasingly says is fine. But to do so, and that was what I tried to raise as my dilemma, how in the wide world in this moment do I respond to this with kindness and with grace? Which is, of course, my same question in responding to your anonymous letter, which if you had given me your name, I could have at least endeavored to respond in kindness and in grace. But there's still time. Christian discipleship marked by a reversal of societal values, marked by an exceptional kind of love, and marked in the end of the chapter, to which we'll come next time, by the kind of zealous and true obedience which Jesus demands. That leaves us then just one section of the sermon to which we now come in verses 39 to 45 in which Jesus says that Christian discipleship is going to be displayed in a life of integrity. And in order to drive this home, Jesus employs a series of pictures, each of which tells a story. Every picture tells a story. It's really quite impossible to read this without understanding that it is in some measure an invitation to introspection. That Christ is calling for us to look inside of ourselves. As I pondered that this week, I could hear numerous school teachers saying to the class, and often I think probably directly to me, after a piece of work had been assigned, or after they said you can turn your papers over now, you know when you have to begin your test and, and so on, and you turn the paper over and you immediately look around to see if everybody feels as bad as you feel about what the first question is. 
especially in essay questions, and you're immediately looking around and seeing if anyone has started or whatever is going on, and the teacher says, now my suggestion is this, never mind looking around, just concentrate on yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. The call of the sermon is that one should not be preoccupied primarily and initially with the spiritual condition of others, but should instead be diligent in examining ourselves in light of the standard that Jesus sets. Now that is, if we're honest, immediately a challenge, because most of us regarded our prerogative to be immediately involved in the spiritual condition of others, not least of us who have been entrusted with opportunities and responsibilities in leadership. Jesus says, no, I don't want you to begin there. I want you to begin with yourself. I want you to make sure that the searchlight of my word and my standards is very, very clearly seen to be gazing and looking beneath the surface of your own circumstances. That is some really, 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 really good points. We should always focus on ourselves first. We should focus on ourselves first. We should just constant. Anytime you pick up the Bible, focus on myself. No, focus on the. T- uh, well, this is the way I would. I would if I'm if I'm trying to extrapolate and 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 lay out like a plan and how to do this when it comes to studying the Bible. Focus on the text first. And who the original recipients were. Yes. Then apply it to you. In other words, you figure out what, who the text was written to and what it meant to the original recipients. And then you take the spotlight of that and turn it on yourself, not on anyone else. And we need to be constantly more preoccupied with our own spiritual condition than the spiritual condition of everyone else. So very, very important advice. Here we go. Now, there are then five pictures, essentially, that take us through to the end of the chapter. The fifth we will leave until next time we will make an attempt at the first four. Picture number one is there in verse 39. And he told them this parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Now, think about that for just a moment. It has a sort of pathetic humor to it. A blind man being led by a blind guide. Such a picture has disaster written all over it. It's not uncommon for some of us to see a blind man wanting to cross a very busy street, and in our sightedness we go in order to enable them to cross. But if you imagine a very large highway with traffic going both directions, and a blind man trying to get across, and another blind man comes to the help of the blind man trying to get across, and the one blind man helps the other blind man try and avoid four lanes of traffic going in every direction, it is disaster written all over it. And that is just the point that Jesus is making. You see, Jesus' listeners were well aware of the rugged terrain which was full of pits and potholes. The New Testament has quite a lot to say about falling into pits and being pulled out of pits. Why is that? Well, because presumably the roads in Palestine were fairly similar to the roads in northeast Ohio. Sometimes you fell into a hole that was actually expressly dug for you by the authorities, and other times you fell into a hole that was being disregarded by the authorities, but you couldn't go 15 yards without the potential of falling into a pit. And so his listeners would understand that the answer to Jesus' first question was clearly to be a no. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Answer, no. And the answer to his second question was clearly to be a yes. Will they not both fall into a pit? Yes. Now, I, I just, again, listening to a sermon, processing a sermon, when we do these sermon reviews, I'll, I, again, I imagine that we're just sitting now listening to the sermon together and we're talking about it. What, what came, came to my mind, and this may have to turn into my own separate broadcast here, is can the, can the blind lead the blind? Now, remember, he established right there before he started getting into these pictures, and I think it's an interesting breakdown of this section that there's five pictures, five different pictures that tell a story. I like the break a breakdown. I like the outline. All very interesting. All very informative. I, again, another reason why you should subscribe to the Truth For Life uh, podcast. I wish they would uh, have it working on Sermons 2.0, but okay, that, that's a whole separate point. But you can see why a lot of people has re- have recommended this. A great breaking down of the section of Scripture. He's made it very clear we need to apply it to ourselves first. So all good things. But here's what I, when I read the verse, and, and 
this is Luke 6, verse 39. And speaking of Jesus, he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? Now, here's the application question I would ask myself. Which blind man am I? Am I the blind man relying on other blind people to follow me? Now, first of all, let's just start. I think I should break it down this way, all right? First, am I the blind man? Just just the first question. In other words, in what ways am I spiritually blind? And in what way, in what ways am I spiritually blind? Where and where in my spiritual life is there not good vision? There is weak vision or just spiritual blindness. What, what are my spiritual blind spots? So first, am I the blind man, right? Second, am I a blind man looking to other blind people, other blind persons to lead me? Who do I look to in my spiritual life to lead or to guide me? Am I Sometimes when Christians find themselves struggling, they're, they, they, maybe they feel like they're blind and they don't know which direction to go. They don't know what to do. In many cases, they seek out spiritual advice, or they just may call it advice, from people who are spiritually blind. So am I, am I, how am I the spiritual, am I the spiritually blind person? In what ways am I spiritually blind? And number two, am I looking to blind people to guide me? Look, when, when, whenever what's going on in your Christian life, whatever's going on in your life, whatever advice you get, there's going to be a spiritual element to it. So you need to look to people who are not blind. So am I the blind person? Am I looking to blind people to guide me? And then number three, this is important. Am I the blind person trying to lead other blind people. Like, I may be the blind person, right, who's looking for other people to lead me and I'm choosing you know, blind people, but some just think, no matter who you are, no, no matter who you are in your Christian life, you don't have to be a Christian podcaster. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an elder. If you are talking to Christian friends on social media, if you, if you're, if you have any influence on any other Christians, are you the blind leader? Are you the blind follower? Are you the blind leader? I think we could really flesh that out. I mean, first, am I blind? Am I looking to blind people to, to lead me? Am I the blind leader? Am I the blind follower? Am I the blind leader? Sometimes we, we, our own, our own, our own blindness, we don't recognize our own blindness and we're out there trying to help other people get across the spirit, the, the, the street, spiritually speaking. I think I think there's some good applications right there from this. Let, let's see what, what he does with it. Now, by means of this one metaphor, this mental picture, Jesus is pointing out the folly and the futility of a blind man acting as a guide. And also of the disastrous consequences of following a guide who is himself blind. Now, here's the question. How does this tie into the preceding portion of Jesus' discourse, and how does it fit with all that follows? Well, I have thought a great deal about this this week, and my best attempt at it is to say this. That since the context is very much in relationship to an instruction that is taking place within the, context, within the framework of the Pharisees, who themselves were all eyes. Jesus then, in addressing this issue of blindness, is pointing out that these individuals who regarded themselves as those who really had their eyes wide open were in point of fact the very blind guides that he warns those who are listening to him against following. What do I, why do I say that? Well, look at verse 7 of chapter 6. It says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking, looking, in reference to sight, looking for a way for a reason to accuse Jesus. And then notice the phrase, so they watched him very closely. So you have this picture of these guys going around with their eyes wide open. And Jesus says, now listen, I want to just ask you a question. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Despite the fact that these folks are walking around with their eyes wide open, they're actually blind. Jesus has already stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he has read from the portion of Isaiah which contains the phrase, the recovery of sight for the blind. And having 
given up on the scroll, he sat down and he said, Now is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing? And the Pharisees who prized themselves in being able to see everything so clearly were, in point of fact, blind guides. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 15 and 14, Jesus is actually recorded as referring to the Pharisees as blind guides. And the reason that he speaks so clearly concerning it is because disaster attaches to following a blind guide. It is not that these individuals were purporting information that was simply benign. It was dreadfully dangerous. And people who speak falsehood, especially as it relates to God and to the Bible, should not be regarded as a benign presence in society, but they should be regarded with gravity, and they should be avoided at all costs. Every so often people will come and say, well, you know, I go to a church where the Bible isn't taught, but the gentleman is a very nice man. He may be a very nice man, but he is a very dangerous man. If he is not teaching the Bible, if he is not propounding the truth of God's Word, he is a blind guide, and you yourself will be blinded by him if you stay there, and you will both fall into a pit. Now, I think he's doing a really good job of placing it back in its textual context, connecting this possibly to the Pharisees. Now, it would be interesting... um, we could, we could get into we we uh yeah we won't go there there's 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 a uh, some some interpretive textual issues here in regarding what Jesus is doing here is this is this the same is this the same sermon what we call the sermon on the mount right uh but it but Luke is only record only giving us certain parts of it right in other words he's using the sermon on the mount only to give us certain parts here or is this another sermon where Jesus is is basically reciting certain parts of the sermon on the mount you we could we could get into all of the discussions and and all of the different theories in regards to that but um so because and the reason I'm asking that is that well, then you could go see cuz like if we go to Matthew 5 See, if I go to Matthew 5, I believe, you see, Matthew chapter 5, maybe chapter 6, hang on, Matthew 5, or maybe actually uh, Matthew chapter 7. Um, you see here, um, no, actually, maybe not. I thought it was in Matthew 7 where that same phrase is used. Uh, no, he does talk about false prophets, but I don't think he talks about them being blind. So, um, yeah, so this may be, uh, may, there are cer- certain parts here that are very similar to Sermon on the Mount. So in other words, we could, we could, um, we could, uh, s- I was going to place that, co- that phrase into the context of Matthew five. Now you see here, I'm looking, um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that phrase shows up there. Give me one second here. I'm going to look up the, fr- I'm going to look up the phrase. Give me one second. I'm going to look up the phrase just because now I'm curious. Now I'm curious. Again, when we do the reviews, it, we, we, it's, it's live reaction. So I, I like it to be that way. Here, I'm going to do a search. I'm going to do a search. Oh, come on, Blue Letter Bible app. I'm going to type in blind. Okay, I'm going to go uh, see here. I'm going to go to the Gospels. Uh, yeah, okay. See, Matthew. No, it doesn't show up in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, yeah, Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. Okay, I knew the same phrase appeared in Matthew. For some reason, I was thinking it appeared in Matthew 7. So that, so there's, there's some differences here. So is, is the, uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do something here. I'm going to do a search. Okay. One second. All right. Uh Okay. Uh it, okay, is the sermon on the mount Matthew 5 through 7? The same event as the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6. Scholars are divided. 
Luke locates the sermon on a plane, Luke 6, 17. Matthew locates his sermon on a mountain, Matthew 5, 1. Because of that detail alone, some scholars think these are different events. But others note that the sermons are not but others note that the sermons are not identical. There is, there is significant overlap, but they don't have the exact same material. Basically, Luke includes less material than Matthew. They would argue that Jesus gave his sermon, they would argue that Jesus gave his sermon many times, the way a politician gives a campaign speech or a conference speaker repeats a motivational speech. He may not repeat it word for word each time, but the, but he teaches the same ideas in various settings to various different crowds. And the geographical, de- uh, is the geographical detail enough to separate the events? The word that's translated plain is only used in the new, is only used once in the New Testament. It basically means level ground. It's unclear what Luke intends. Jesus could be on the level ground at the top of a hill, or he could be on the top of a hill overlooking a flat field, or he could be in a place of mountainous terrain and found a level place where he could easily preach. The language alone cannot definitively separate Luke's event from Matthew's. The similarities, both of Matthew, both of Matthew and Luke introduced the sermons by talking by talking of the large crowds following Jesus for healing, Matthew 4, 23 through 25, Luke 6, 18. Both mention the disciples as distinct from the crowd, Matthew 5, 1, Luke 6, 20. Both start with the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 2 through 12, Luke 6, 20 through um, 30, I believe. They have 230, uh, so obviously <laughs> that's not correct. Both end with the saying that those who heed his words are like those who build on the rock, Matthew 5, 24 through 27, Luke 6, 46 through 49. In between, they have the same sections in the same order, but Matthew gives more detail. So in other words, there's, and then they have a comparison chart where you can compare. So are they similar events? If they're similar events, what I was going to do I was going to take the blind leads the blind, try to possibly bring it back into Matthew and see where that phrase is used and go, okay, maybe that gives a different context or a different way of interpreting it. Then he's off, he's connecting it in Luke 6 back to the Pharisees. So that's what I was thinking, but uh, the actual phrase in Matthew does not occur in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. It occurs at a later time. So just trying to do a little bit of interpretive work while listening to the sermon. So that's what I was thinking. But just so, and and just so that you know, there are, scholars are divided on that very issue. Are they the same or are they different? I know this, even if they're different, clearly Luke is borrowing from the, the, I mean, put it this way, if they're, let me state that again. That's not wouldn't be Luke. If they are different events, Jesus is clearly, it's, he's preaching some of the very similar principles and similar ideas preached in the Sermon on the Mount, just in a different setting. And obviously, Luke is recording that preaching and not the, the Sermon on the Mount, if they are separate. All right, so I hope that makes sense. All right, I, so so th- this is why re- uh, sermon reviews can take so long because you stumble across some idea and you're like, oh, okay, wait, what do we do with this? And that's why you listen to sermons because now, like, I, immediately I'm going to go, okay, hmm. So what what's my current view on this? I've had different views in the past on it. What is my view today? Are they the same? Are they different? Does it make a lot of difference? There, there you go. That's why we listen to sermons, because you hear and are presented different ideas and different uh, challenges. All right, let's continue, because we're about to run out of time. Here we go. Now, that kind of phraseology is regarded as dogmatic, assertive, proud, arrogant, and abusive. If it is true, none of the adjectives apply. If, of course, Christianity is not true, then none of the adjectives are relevant. When Paul is addressing Timothy concerning the false teachers, the blind guides of his day, he says to them, says to Timothy, their teaching will spread like gangrene. That's a graphic picture of a putrefying condition which makes a very fast advance through the body. So Jesus, in asking this question, in employing this first picture, is distinguishing 
between these blind teachers who thought they can see and warning his followers lest they're tempted to become like them. That brings us to the second picture. The teacher and the pupil. Or the teacher and the student. Now, in the days in which Jesus is addressing this matter, the pupil was virtually totally dependent upon his teacher for guidance and for instruction. In the absence of literature, much literature, they would walk with their teacher, they would eat with their teacher, they would often live with their teacher, in order that in the walking and in the talking, they may be clearly a student of that teacher. And in the same way that a son, no matter how advanced he may become in life, is always a son to his father, in the same way a student, no matter how he may excel or she may excel and go beyond the instruction and the uh, academic qualifications of the, of the initial teacher, that individual you will find, if they're worth their salt and honest at all, will always, when they're acknowledging their academic accolades, pay testimony to their teacher. It may be a high school teacher, it may be a, princi- it may be a principal in an elementary school, but they will say, you know, in accepting this PhD today, I want to acknowledge that I am still the student of Mrs. X or whatever it is, because they recognize their dependence upon that instruction. Now, Jesus makes that point. And in making the point, there is an inherent warning. Namely, make sure that you don't choose the wrong teacher, because the student won't get beyond the teacher. And if you choose these blind guides as your teacher, then you will end up in the pit. Therefore, it is imperative that you leave behind these teachers and that you come and follow he who is the great teacher, namely Jesus himself. The warning, I think, is also matched by an implied exhortation. And it's simply this. If his followers are going to be teachers, and they are, then they need to be on their guard against the blindness which marked the Pharisees. And what was the blindness that marked the Pharisees? It was the blindness of unbelief. But what contributed, it would seem, largest of all to their condition? The answer is that they were self-deceived. That they thought they could see when in point of fact they were blind. That they thought they understood who was in and who was out. And Jesus says, no, that's not the case at all. Before judging others, Jesus is essentially saying, we better first judge ourselves. Lest we too become blind leaders of the blind. Okay, now, if you, if you look at Luke 640, and you look at it in a number of translations, it reads this way. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So, in a sense, what Jesus is saying in this next picture is, hey, you can either be the blind person, okay, who's being led by the blind leader, right? You don't want to be blind and you don't want to be led by someone who's blind. You can either be the blind follower or the blind leader. You don't, you don't want a blind leader and you don't want to be blind, right? So that, that, that picture is pretty clear and it, it raises those questions. Are you blind? How are you blind? Are you the blind follower? Who are you choosing to, 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 to follow? Are you the blind leader? Okay, all very applicable. In this particular case, it's a reminder that as the student, because we're all learning, we're not above the teacher. We're not above the teacher, and, and, and you're going to be like the teacher you follow. You're going to be like the teacher you listen to in some way, shape, or form, because you can't go beyond what the person who's teaching you is teaching you. So make sure you are, well, find the right teacher, not one who is blind, or you'll end up in the pit. That's, that's the concept here. Now, it is a very sobering statement. It says, Calvin, nothing is worse than men who think that they see when they are in reality blind. And when in their delusion they make bold 
to act as leaders and guides for others. Okay, that's a powerful quote. Let's go back. He's quoting Calvin here. Let's go back. We're going to go back. Let's get that one more time. Listen carefully. And when in their delusion, they make bold to... All right, let's go further back so that we can hear all of it. All right, here we go. Blind leaders of the blind. Now, it is a very sobering statement. It says, Calvin, nothing is worse than men who think that they see when they are in reality blind. And when in their delusion, they make bold to act as leaders and guides for others. That's a powerful idea. There's nothing worse than the man who thinks he can see when in reality he is blind. There's nothing worse in your spiritual life thinking you can see, thinking you've got it figured out, thinking you know when in reality you are completely blind. Physical blindness, you know you're blind. Spiritual blindness, you may not know that you're blind, making spiritual blindness extremely dangerous. It, it's, there's nothing worse than thinking you can see but in reality, you are spiritually blind. All right, now, I'm going to stop right there, and I would challenge you to search out this sermon. Uh, again, it is called uh, Pictures. I mean, if I can find it here. Pictures that tell a story. If you find it on the Truth For Life website, um, you're going to, uh, it's going to be part one and two. But if you, now, this is where you can. If you have the Sermons 2.0 app, now, even though they haven't updated it, you can find this. You can find this old one easy. You just simply go to uh, search uh, pictures. Hang on, pictures that tell a story, and I bet you it shows right up here. Uh, hang on, maybe. Okay. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, uh, pictures that tell a story. You'll find it. Alistair Begg, September the 9th, 2010. There, I would definitely challenge you to listen to the rest. Remember, the goal for this series is to simply turn the spotlight onto other podcasts, other broadcasters, so that you have more spiritual food to listen to and available to you. He's doing a, an interesting job on Luke 6, breaking it down. He, I, I'm assuming when he started Luke 6, he dealt with the whole controversy. Is it the same sermon, a different sermon than Sermon on the Mount? He did a, a an interesting job of of breaking this section down in Luke 6 into five pictures. I love that. That is awesome. I Again, I, I believe that this sermon that Jesus is preaching, Sermon on the Mount, whether they're the same or whether they're different, it's the same concept. It's giving basically a commentary of the law of God. And this commentary is there not to test to see if you're saved. It's I don't even think its primary po focus is really to give you the rules and how to live. I think what it's doing is it's showing you the righteousness of God and giving you his righteous standard in order to show you your unrighteousness and how far you fall short. The only way you can hope to ever fulfill the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, whatever you want to call it, Guess what? You need an alien righteousness, which is imputed to us by our faith in Jesus Christ, because he preached it, but he lived it and kept it. And his passive and active obedience is imputed to us by faith. Now, once we come to faith in Christ, yes, this sermon still gives us that righteous standard, and we are to strive to live it out. We are to follow it. But anyone who, who is even remotely honest with themselves about the Sermon on the Mount will see, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. You fall short, you fall short, you fall short, you fall short. But it is gives us the standard which we are to follow. So I think for application for us, our, how, where look at yourself. Spiritually speaking, where is your spiritual blind spots? How is your spiritual vision? Now, again, sometimes we're the last ones to understand. Sometimes we are blind and we don't even realize it. But in what ways are you, in a sense, spiritually blind? Do you, who are you looking to, to help you with your spiritual eyesight? Are you looking to other people who are blind? And are you leading other people, right? In some way, shape, or form, you're helping, you're discipling, you're influencing. And uh, is your spiritual blindness 
leading both of you into the same ditch. That's some very important points. A lot of times I like to finish these completely out, but in this particular case, I'm just going to stop right there and say truth for life, subscribe to it. Alistair Begg, it is called, that sermon is called Pictures That Tell a Story. You can find it on the Sermons 2.0 app if you, if that makes it easier for you, or you can just do a search for Truth for Life, find their website, should be able to locate the sermon that way. If you find the website, it's going to be their, probably the daily radio program, and it'll be broken into individual parts. But please listen to the rest of it and subscribe to Alistair Begg, Truth for Life, and make it a part of your daily spiritual food, all right? That's the whole point of this series, the Christian uh, the Christian Spotlight Podcast, or the Christian Podcast Spotlight, if I can say it correctly, because that's the whole goal here. I want you to, you, we all have these mobile devices. We all have them, right? Phones, tablets, we use them for so much frivolous stuff. Let's use it for spiritual growth, discipleship, and food, and uh I'm going to try to point you to that content that will do just that. So I know it's been a while since we've done an episode in this series. I felt today we needed to do so. And everyone keeps saying, you need to talk about Alistair Begg, Truth for Life. And only reason I haven't is because I figured everyone already knew about it. But um, just in case someone doesn't, there you go. And even if you know about Alistair Begg, what I did is chose something so old that there's a good chance that you didn't hear it. So I, I, I chose a, a sermon from 2010 is what I did. Uh, so uh, September the 9th, 2010, pictures that tell a story. So at least, even if you don't want to subscribe to him, go finish that sermon and let me know your thoughts about it. Newsif at yahoo.com. If you have any questions in regards to the Sermon on the Mount or any of the, the approaches, I the, the approach I try to give to it, or any questions about, so is it the same sermon? Is it a different sermon than Sermon on the Mount? Is it two separate sermons? L- let me know, and if we need to talk about it, we'll do additional broadcast and, and then take this and go in our own direction with it. All right, I'll stop right there. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. God bless.